scripture reading this morning is found in your bulletin, Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 40, Acts chapter 6, in your Bibles or in your bulletin, story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared to Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. And uh, they had problems in the church, and one of the problems were uh, Jewish widows weren't, didn't seem to be treated as well as Hebrew widows. In other words, uh, widows that belonged to Jewish families that spoke Greek did not seem to get treated as well as those traditional Hebrew families and their widows were being treated by the church. And there was some griping and grumbling and complaining in the church. And so the solution was to appoint deacons. And so seven deacons were appointed in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 6. And you will notice that the deacons that were appointed were Greek-speaking Jewish individuals. Uh, makes sense that you would appoint individuals who spoke Greek to look after the problem of Greek widows not being treated well or being neglected. And Philip was one of them. Philip and Stephen and a number of others. And it turns out that these men were tremendous evangelists. Stephen was wonderful. And Stephen was going into the Greek-speaking synagogue and they're defending Jesus Christ and claiming him to be the Messiah. And no one could stand up against him. And the powers that be were quite angry, took Stephen, seized him, put him on trial, and eventually stoned him. And after they stoned him, a great persecution broke out upon the church, and the church scattered. So no longer just in Jerusalem. And Philip was one of the first 
he went to Samaria. And he took the gospel to Samaria. Samaritans responded and responded to the gospel well. And they embraced Jesus Christ and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And then this is the continuation of that story. Not only did Philip go to Samaria, the Lord then told Philip, go south of Jerusalem. There's somebody else that I want you to meet. And that's where our story picks up in verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. He started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians, or maybe the queen mother of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. First thing I want to draw to your attention. The Lord directs us where he wants. The Lord directs us. We believe that Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And God is drawing people to himself. And in this passage, he sends an angel to speak to Philip. And then the Spirit of God speaks to Philip. Go stay that, near that chariot. And so he runs beside it. And at the end of the chapter, the Holy Spirit will take him away. And uh, he disappears. And he shows up somewhere else. And goes on his way to uh, Caesarea. Uh, God has many ways to lead people and to speak to people. Um, he has an angel and a Holy Spirit give direction to Philip. I ask the question, why not just send the angel directly to the Ethiopian? Uh, because God wants to use us too. Uh, with the Apostle Paul, Jesus himself showed up. I think I would be offended if I was uh, maybe the Ethiopian eunuch. Hey, why doesn't Jesus show up to me? I just get Philip. Paul gets Jesus. Uh, God's got many ways to speak to us, many ways to direct us, and uh, who knows what way he will use to speak to you. Maybe he'll use a person. Maybe he'll use a dream like he did with Jim Hale. Maybe he'll use, uh, maybe he'll just use you, you reading the Bible. Uh, but God is building his church. Jesus is building his church. So that's point number one. Uh, God wants to use us to build his church. And so he will use us to speak to people. He used Sam Carr to speak to Mike Hanneman. Mike, he met Mike at the center downtown. And Mike said, I don't have anybody to walk with me. And Sam Carr said, I'll walk with you. And they've walked together for how long, Sam? Almost three years, Mike and Sam walked together. And poor Mike didn't know that Sam was going to share Jesus with them while they walked. And I believe God directs us the same way. Brings people into our lives to meet, spend time with, so that we can tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Point number two, the Lord wants all people to come to Christ. He wants African blacks, government officials, if you can believe that, 
and sexually different people. After all, we're talking a eunuch here. Today we would call that probably a trans. Uh, someone who has been sexually altered and uh, maybe, maybe born sexually altered, but certainly sexually are altered so that he, he has no sex drive and, uh, and uh, certainly not normal sexually. And God wants him to be part of the kingdom and to hear about Jesus Christ. And he reaches out to him through Philip, through his word. It's interesting, the Ethiopian church owes its beginnings to this story. And the Ethiopian church, the Ethiopian Christian church, is the oldest Christian church today. It is, began in 333 A.D. And it joined with the Coptic church until this century. And it has between 45 and 50 million members. Most Ethiopians are Christian which is why they've had a lot of problems. Since, uh, since the onslaught of, of Islam, Ethiopia has problems between Christians and Muslims. Predominantly Christian in a predominantly Muslim area of the world. Uh, like the Coptic Church, they have a difference in theology from us. They believe in one nature of Jesus, that the human and divine nature are fused together. And the illustration that they would use would be something like this. The human nature, the, the divine nature of God is kind of like the ocean. And the human nature is like a drop of water. And you join the two together so that now they're just mixed up. But obviously the divine kind of overwhelms the human. Now, for those of us in the West, we go, we don't like that. We like Jesus to be 100% God and 100% human. And they like to just have one. He is the God-man mixed together. Now, I don't think that affects their salvation. They're wrong. We're right. <laughs> but that is, that is not a salvation issue. Um, at least I don't think that's a salvation issue. Uh, the problem the Ethiopian church has today, like most of the ancient churches, your Christianity has become part of your culture and it's just part of your heritage and it's not actually your faith. And that, that kind of Christianity does not save you. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, trusting in Jesus Christ. Now, fortunately, in these days, persecution of the Coptic church in Egypt and persecution of the Ethiopian church is causing them to re-examine their faith. If I'm dying for this faith, it better be real. It better be more than just a cultural choice and more than just, more than just my my family heritage, it better be something I really believe in. And so there is a refound faith in Jesus Christ today in both the Coptic Church in Egypt and the Ethiopian Orthodox faith. Anyways, this is where it began. This Ethiopian eunuch. God wants all people to come to Christ. 
He even says that in the text. Notice verse 39. I'm sorry, this is from Acts chapter 2. This is Peter preaching at Pentecost. This is what he said. This promise is for you and your children, speaking to everyone that was there hearing it, for you and your children and for all who are far off. That's us. For all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's Acts chapter 2. So point number two, the Lord wants all people to come to Christ. That means an Ethiopian eunuch, and it means you. Point number three, the Lord uses the word of God. The Lord uses the word of God to tell people about himself. How can you know what God wants you to know today? It's found right here in this Bible. My friend James McDonald wrote a book, and he called the book, God Wrote a Book. <laughs> God Wrote a Book. And uh, this is God telling you what you need to know. And here's a man who's seeking for God. He's worshiping in Jerusalem. He is uh, adhering to the Jewish faith. Even though he cannot enter the temple precinct, because he's an Ethiopian and, an, and a eunuch, double strike, even though he cannot enter into the temple precinct, yet he is going there and worshiping God. And he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And there they are traveling in the back of the chariot, and I think he's sitting down in the back of the chariot. I think he's got a driver, and he's sitting there and he's reading it. I love that. How many of you like to read in the car? Not while you're driving. How many of you can't read in a car? Yeah, listen, reading in a chariot's harder than reading in a car. <laughs> and especially reading one of those old manuscripts where I, I showed you I showed you those old manuscripts written in all capital letters. All the words are jumbled together. There's no punctuation. There's no separation between the sentences. There's no paragraphs. It's all put together. He's, it's probably Greek that he's reading. It's a Greek translation of the Old Testament. Uh, it's hard to read if that's your first language. It's harder if you're in the back of a chariot and you're, and you're reading a different language. Uh, and in the ancient world, most people's read out loud because it's actually quite an advanced skill to read quietly. You forget, you forget this, but you are all well-educated. You forget that. Compared to the history of the world, you are well-educated enough that I think all of you can read without sounding out the words while you read. Is that true? It's probably true. In the ancient world, people could not read without sounding out the words. That was very, that's an unusual skill. And so here he is in the back of his chariot. He's reading the manuscript. He's reading it out loud. And the Spirit says to Philip, run up next to the chariot. 
Now, I thought about having a point in my notes that said you should be in good enough shape to run next to a chariot so that God could maybe use you someday. I didn't, I didn't put that down as a point. But he runs next to the chariot, and as he's running next to the chariot, he hears the man reading out loud as he's sounding out the words, and he's trying to figure out the text. And Philip runs along beside him, and he says, Do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, How can I understand it unless someone explains it to me? And I did write this down. I said, first of all, admit it. We all need help understanding the Word of God. We all do. Thank God this man said, I need some help. Why is it so hard to understand the Word of God? Number one, it's big. 66 books. It takes us a while just to learn the names of all 66 books. Number two, why is it difficult? There's a cultural barrier, there's a language barrier, and a time barrier. Isaiah was written 2,700 years ago. It's a long time. 2,700 years ago. What's more, Isaiah is written as poetry. How many of you read poetry? Oh, some of you. I do not read poetry in my spare time. <laughs> when I grew up, that was for girls. <laughs> poetry is even harder to read than narrative. It's hard. Number three, why is it so hard to read the Word of God? There are spiritual barriers. Uh, we don't like to be told that we're bad. The Scriptures tell us that. That's a spiritual barrier. Number four, there's a Jesus Christ barrier. If you know who Jesus is, the scriptures make sense. And if you reject who Jesus is, the scriptures will not work. Number five, everybody, everybody that I've ever met, every preacher and every teacher needs help reading the Bible. In fact, we all get books down off of our shelf because we go, boy, that seems tough for me. Let me read what somebody else has to say. But God speaks to us through his word, and he speaks to us through people who know his word and can point us to Jesus Christ. Takes us to point number four. The most important part of the good news is Jesus Christ on the cross. Notice the translation, notice the scripture he was reading, if you notice in verse 32 and 33. Notice the scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. I would hope that every single one of you would be able to take that passage of Scripture and starting from that passage of Scripture, tell somebody the good news about Jesus Christ. Um, notice just what this Scripture says. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. 
And as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. I think the idea there is that when you go to slaughter a little sheep and you go to cut its throat, uh, you don't have to have a wrestling match. You don't have to fight it. You can just take the little lamb and take it there and slice its throat. You don't have to fight it. Uh, He's talking about Jesus. And when Jesus went to the cross, he had the power to stop it. He could have stopped it. He could have stopped it the night before when he knew he was going to be arrested. Remember when they came to arrest him? And they came to arrest Jesus. And they came into the garden. And they went to seize him. And they all fell down. And Jesus and the disciples could have run away. But no, he just stood there. Or he could have stopped it at his trial. In fact, Pilate asked him, what, what kind of defense do you have? And Jesus had no, he would not speak in his own defense. He would not speak up to defend himself. He was silent. Or when they took him to the cross, he could have shouted out, this is not right. This is not fair. I've done nothing wrong. Stop this. He did not. Or his his disciples had how many swords? Two swords. Who said that? Rosemary? Olive? Two swords. He could have said, hey, get out your swords. We're going to stop them. No. Quietly, willingly, he went to his death. Notice the next. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. He was the best of human beings. He was perfect. And yet he was sentenced to death. Notice, who can speak of his descendants? Jesus died in his 30s. In fact, he might have been 37, the same age as Mike. Uh, 37 years of age. He was just hitting the age where you start going, hey, he should be getting married. He's getting a little old not to get married. He should be getting married and having children. But Jesus did not have the chance to get married and have children because his life ended prematurely. He ended in the prime of his life. How many of you are older than 37? (laughs) You've lived longer than Jesus. The eunuch asked Philip, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And starting with that passage, he says, he's talking about Jesus not talking about himself. Here's what the verse before, you know, we've got Isaiah 53 there, verses uh, 7 and 8. Here's what verse 6 says, the verse that he doesn't read out loud. And I think, Phil, I think Philip gets this in there. He goes, the Lord lays on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord lays on Jesus Christ your sin and my sin. Or verse, the end of verse 8, where he stops reading. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. 
And I think Philip would have said, do you know why we sacrifice lambs? Because God was pointing to Jesus Christ, going to the cross, bearing the sin of all people, and paying for your sin and for my sin. And it's necessary for you to call on his name for the forgiveness of sins. Now, the text doesn't say this. But between 35 and 36, the lights go on for the Ethiopian. All his trips to Jerusalem, the highlights of his religious life were seen in a new light. The Day of Atonement and the Passover are really about Jesus Christ. Takes us to point number five. The sign of repentance and belief in Jesus Christ is baptism. Verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. The eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Uh, He's come to believe in Jesus. And as they travel along, they, they see some water, and he goes, here's water. Why can't I be baptized? And so they go down into the water. And there Philip baptizes him. My favorite book on the book of Acts is a, is a book by John R.W. Stott. He's an Anglican. Baptists love to read this passage and point out that the water is big enough for them to go down into the water. Here's what Stott says. He says, don't make much of the fact that they both go down into the water. Because maybe they go down into the water up to their waist and then he sprinkles him. That's what I thought when I read that, too. Ridiculous. Right? If you're going to sprinkle them, you don't even have to get out of the chariot, right? Just, just, just use the water in the chariot. Or just, 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 dip, just dip a little pot into the side of the water, and you can do it on the shore. You don't have to walk down in the middle of the water if you're going to sprinkle them. Uh, they walk down into the water because baptism's by immersion. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is always, always the case. Someone hears the message about Jesus Christ. They respond to Jesus Christ. And the first response, baptism. I want to show my belief, show my faith by being immersed. Um, We are having a baptism August the 13th. If you are interested, please speak to me about that so that I can just get together with you and read a number of passages about baptism. I was thinking about this man coming to Christ, and I was just reading uh, C.H. Spurgeon's autobiography. And this is how he came to Christ, and I just wanted to read it. Um, Spurgeon was just happened to go by He turned down a side street on a Sunday morning and he saw a Methodist chapel and he had never gone to a Methodist chapel before, but he wanted to go in. He was late to get to his own church and so he went into this little chapel. The pastor could not show up that morning 
And so one of somebody else from the congregation had to speak. And he goes, he was a thin-looking man, a shoemaker or a tailor. And so he went, went up into the pulpit to preach. Now, it is well that preachers should be instructed, but this man was really stupid. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason he had little else to say. The text was, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the, word, uh, ends of the earth. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in that text. The preacher began this way. My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now look and don't take a deal of pains. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me. I, said he, many on ye are looking to yourselves. It's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourself. Some look to God the Father. No, look to him by and by. Jesus says, look unto me. Look to Christ. The text says, look unto me. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me. I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I'm hanging on the cross. Look unto me. I'm dead and buried. Look unto me. I rise again. Look unto me. I ascend to heaven. Look unto me. I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner, look unto me. Look unto me. When he'd gone on this way for ten minutes, he was out of his tether. He looked at me. And with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. Just fixing his eyes on me, he said, Young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did. I had not been accustomed to have remarks made from the pulpit on my personal appearance before. However, it was a good blow. Struck right home. He continued, You will always be miserable. Miserable in life. Miserable in death if you don't obey my text. But if you obey now this moment, you will be saved. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted, Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have not what else he said. I did not take much notice. I was so possessed with that one thought. And Spurgeon came to Christ that day by looking to Jesus Christ. Um, that's the message of the gospel. Beginning with this text, he explained Jesus Christ to the Ethiopian eunuch. He looked and was baptized. Uh, today, I encourage you, today's, today might be the day for you to look. Look to Jesus. Accept him as your Savior and be saved. Let's look to the Lord in prayer.